I hope you have a Bible with you. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 8, and you can click on or turn to, and uh, we're looking at uh, big, huge thanks. I'm sure that's probably not grammatically correct. Wait till you see next week's title. It's even worse. Big, huge thanks. We're looking at what God has done in us. He's still doing it, but He's already done, He is doing, and He will do, and what a huge blessing. So if you have your Bible open to Romans chapter 8, look with me please, beginning in verse number 26. Likewise also the Spirit, I'm sorry, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit enters into our deepest pain and partners with us in our prayers. Can you click that up? The Holy Spirit is entering into your pain. I like this picture. I'm not sure that's a Bible she's holding, but she looks downcast. She looks uh, a little discouraged. And when you face difficulties, the Holy Spirit enters in. How many of you, honestly, raise your hand if you've ever felt like you were so burdened to pray but weren't sure how to pray? Yeah, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? We're, we're not sure, and we just cry out, and some days all we can do is cry out, Lord, save us, like, like Peter did in the water. And, and the Lord partners with us in this prayer. So that at your most brokenness, what happens sometimes when we feel broken, we feel alone. And in that brokenness and that feeling alone, we wonder whether God's there. Remember in, in the boat and the disciples said, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, yes, he cared. He cared so much he stopped the whole thing. <laughs> but, but listen, God lets us go through hard times and he uses them in our lives. And don't ever get the idea God doesn't care. He does. He, he cares so much, He enters into it with us. So in our brokenness, not only is God there with us in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but what else does the verse say? When we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, the Holy Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So not only is the Holy Spirit there and aware, the Holy Spirit actually enters in. And so picture you on your knees crying out to God just in agony and, and imagine the Holy Spirit giving you a, a spiritual hug. The Holy Spirit is grabbing on and holding on and helping you and interceding for you. So we're not sure how to pray. The Holy Spirit is praying. Some of us have faced brokenness personally, health issues, financial issues, a lot of issues. Some have faced it vicariously in their family. You have kids or grandkids that are suffering or close friends, and you just agonize for them. And sometimes you see somebody who you love, and they've made some some bad choices, and now they're suffering the consequences of those bad choices, and then we don't know how to pray. Do we pray, Lord, 
relieve the consequences, but that might be the very thing God is using to work in their life. Or do we pray, Lord, you know, make them suffer more? I don't think we can ever pray that. So we're not sure, and we just pray, Lord, they're yours. Love them, care for them. And the Holy Spirit partners in that prayer and intercedes with the Father with groanings that cannot be uttered. When we're just like, oh, our heart is broken. The Holy Spirit is there, and He's broken with us and praying with us. When a person hurts a member of my family, I have a, a fleeting desire to go all marine on the person, you know? And, and um, my first response is not necessarily very spiritual. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit partners with me so that when I'm hurting in that moment, the Holy Spirit helps me and the Holy Spirit draws me back to God's plan, not my plan. And and helps me when I don't even know how to pray. The Holy Spirit is there with me. So I cry out to God in pain, and He hears, and He moves, and He intercedes, and He blesses. You have never been so broken. You have never been so discouraged that God turned away. I remember um, sitting in a jail cell when I was young, way young, as a kid, and I was sitting in there waiting for my dad to come and pick me up. And I won't go into the reasons why I was there. It was just a, a vacation from school. And, <laughs> and uh, so I was just sitting there, and I looked up, and my dad looked at me, and I saw him do this. And I saw him, like, like turn a little bit away, and then you could see him just kind of suck it in and then turn back and say, yeah, that's my kid. I'll, I'll take that one. And God, my heavenly Father, has never done that. In your brokenness and in your sin, the Father up above is looking down in love. And remember the story Jesus told, the, the dad who's like the heavenly father? When he sees the prodigal, he doesn't go, ah, oh, that kid again? He runs to him and welcomes him. And for the record, my dad and I had a great relationship for the last 40 years of his life. Not so good, the first half. But, but the last half, we had a great relationship. And, and listen, we have a Heavenly Father who never gives up on us, who never looks at us in disgust. He doesn't like our sin. But even in our sin, He loves us. And so the Holy Spirit is entering into this deepest pain in partnership and prayer with us. God reaches out to you. What was it in that, that video that you guys did? Um, Joel, your verse, you talked about Jesus saying, come unto me. Is, did you do that one? Yeah, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And he doesn't say, oh, go away, you're bothering me. He doesn't say, here we are again. He says, come. That's the heart of God. And by the way, that's the heart of God's people. 
when we see people struggling in sin. We don't censor them. We don't attack them. We show love to them and then call them to repentance. That's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus wants his brothers and sisters in his spiritual family to do. All right, now look at verse 28. Well, we, we, look, we skipped over verse 27. Now, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is interceding and revealing and guiding and helping. Verse 28. And we know. Don't skip over that word too fast. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknow He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, them these He also called, whom He called, these He also justified, whom He justified, these He also glorified. See, God the Father works everything together for our good. Everything together for our good as we grow in our relationship with and our likeness to Christ. So, how many of you have faced a circumstance this week or this year that was unpleasant that you wished you hadn't had to go through? Guess what? You had to go through it. And and the going through process is what God was using to change you, grow you, mature you, bless you. And, And we go through those hard times. And then God provides for us. All right, so so I want to walk back through this just a little bit more slowly. First of all, everything. God works everything together for good. Everything. There's some things that are just fun, aren't they? Do you ever sit down to eat a meal and it's just great? You know, the tacos are perfect. The refried beans are great. The Spanish rice is excellent. There's some other good meals too. but um, uh, And, and you, you're just eating it and it's like, this is so good. And, and the biggest problem when it's that good, you always want to overeat it, right? And, and then you, if you're diabetic, that messes up your blood sugar for a while after that. And everything. Now, when you're a parent and you have young kids and something bad happens, it's really hard to get that kid to understand God's using this for good. Some of you have lost a spouse. It's hard to understand God's using this for good. I will tell you, I was there when my mom died. Kathy and I were there, and a bunch of our family was gathered there when mom died. It it was a long process. We knew it was coming. In fact, when she got down to the very end of her life, I spent the whole week there, and Kathy came down about every other day and spent some time there, and then, then mom went home to be with the Lord. And my dad walked outside, and he let out this horrible wail just awful. And I walked outside with him. 
And he like grabbed me and said, you tell me how God's going to use this for good. And I said, I have no idea. No clue. All I know is we can trust him. And you know, my dad had a lifelong dream. My dad always wanted to go to Israel. He wanted to walk where the Lord walked. He wanted to be in some of the places where Peter and Paul had had ministered in Israel. And he just wanted to be there, wanted to see it, wanted to experience it. And my mom always said, I'll go almost anywhere on the planet, but I'm not going to Israel. So a year after mom died, dad married a lady whose husband had passed away three years before. She was a family friend. We'd known her for years. And dad said, I've always wanted to go to Israel. And his wife, Kathy, said, let's go. And they went to Israel. And they enjoyed it so much, they went again. Dad got to do a lifelong dream that he couldn't have done with mom. Am I saying dad was blessed because mom died? No. But I'm saying in his brokenness, as he cried out to God, he drew closer to God in a way that you can only draw closer when you've suffered greatly. Some of you know exactly what that sounds like. Everything, even the difficult, ugly, painful stuff, God uses it all. Second thing, He uses it together, not separately. Now, there's a lot of different colors and mixes of, on this palette. And when a painter is painting, they'll dab a little bit here. They might mix a little there. They'll put it on. And um, I, I mean, there are people who are called artists today who grab a bucket of paint and throw it on a wall, and they call it artwork. My parents always called that a mess, and we had to clean it up. Uh, and, but, but, but a real artist who's making something that would be worldwide recognized as, as beautiful and amazing... There's all kinds of color in there. It's not all the same. And God uses the dark times and the bright times to mix together this beautiful portrait called you. And without the difficult times, you wouldn't be you. In in fact... um, We've had a lot of people, Gene, um, Gene Willoughby is moving to Florida. Uh, she, she lives with her daughter here, and her daughter wants to move to Florida, and so Gene is moving with the family to Florida. And Gene came here, and one of the first people she met were some of the ladies in our Friends Needing Friends group. And in that group, there are ladies who live alone or are widowed, um, or our caregivers for uh, a spouse that's uh, in, in needing extra care. And, and those ladies get together and they minister to each other. You know how that started? Two ladies, some of you remember Kathy Pizzatello. Kathy Pizzatello and Shirley lost their husbands. And they talked about it and they said, you know, we should start this group. And Shirley said, that'd be great. I'll support you and 
So we got the group started, and Kathy moved to Texas to be with her kids and left Shirley. And you know what? God has used that ministry to strengthen and encourage a lot of women. And it wouldn't have happened if Shirley's husband hadn't passed away. I was there that night. That was a hard night. But the blessing that she's been able to have with these ladies wouldn't have happened if she hadn't gone through that. Our church wouldn't have a ministry that's actually reaching beyond our church. There's some ladies who come who don't attend here, but they come to be part of this spiritual fellowship because it helps them. And so God uses it together. The good, the bad, and the ugly, all together, not separately. God's not saying when you have a broken heart that someday you'll sing, Oh, praise the Lord, I had a broken heart. He's not saying that. He's saying God will use that broken heart and that joyful heart and all of this, and He'll work it together to accomplish this spiritual growth and maturity in your life that wouldn't happen without the dark times. And then he uses it together for good. For good. I use this picture. It's of a staircase and people walking up. You picture going up the staircase. Each step on that stair gets you closer to where you're going. And that's what happens in your life. Everything you have in your life moves you closer to where God wants you to be. Step by step, event by event, circumstance by circumstance. Everything, every day, every time, God's using it for good. How many of you this week, for something, had to say, oops, Be honest, yeah. Do you think God's ever said oops? Never. Not once. He's using everything together for good. And we look at the world, and honestly, when I look at some parts of the world especially, it's a mess. Parts of our country are a mess. You know, the East Coast side, not out here. But parts of the world is a mess. But God is working in the hearts of those who love Him to work everything together for good, and it's not going to stop. It's always going to be that way, for good. And then, for Christ. Now, He doesn't say that in verse 28, but He does in verse 29. He says, He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. So if you're saying, well, what is the good that God does when I have a health issue or need surgery or I I have uh, this issue? What's the good? How is that going to help my life? You know, not that long ago when I was, well, I guess it's been a while, but when I was 42, I was running competitively and I was actually faster than the varsity high school cross country team. I ran a 5K with those guys and beat them all. And it wasn't just 
the eight of us. It, there were a whole bunch of people, hundreds of people in the race, but my time was faster than all of them. And then I had a blood clot, and it felt like I went from 42 to 95 in one day. But God uses it for good to make you more like Christ. Sometimes God puts weakness in our body so that his strength can shine through. You might have read that in your Bible. The Apostle Paul talked about that. That in our weakness, his strength really shines and so you just say, all right, God's doing this. I'm going to become more like Christ for going through this difficulty. How many of you, when you're going through a hard time, could be encouraged by reminding yourself, this is helping me become more like Christ? Wouldn't that help? And how many of you would say, you know, I don't want that? See, we don't want to experience this pain but when we're standing before God, we want to have a, a, a resemblance to Jesus, don't we? So the pain here now is going to help there then. So we say, bring it on, God. You will help me. You will strengthen me. You will carry me. You will uh, make me stronger. The Holy Spirit will partner with me. This is going to accomplish good. Changes your whole perspective when you're having a bad day. Although I really have never praised God for a flat tire. Especially not on a motorcycle going on I-10 at 80 miles an hour. I never praised God for a flat tire. I did praise God that I didn't wipe out because of the flat tire on my motorcycle. But it's... it's um, it's a spiritual experience, isn't it, Jim? <laughs> when you're going freeway speed and blow out your rear tire on a motorcycle, that, you get close to God really fast. All right, now, some of the words that, that are used here in, in verse number uh, 30, moreover whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. I want you to think a little bit longer about these words, okay? First of all, we are predestined, predestined. Now, what exactly does that mean? Isn't that kind of a cool picture? I, I like the imagery of this picture for predestined. Uh, some people say that God has preordained every single thing in your life. You never make an individual decision. It's all of God. I had a friend who used to call himself a diehard five-point Calvinist, you know, and I always told him I wanted to punch him in the nose and then ask, why did God want me to do that? You know, God is so amazing that God allows you to have limited free will, you can't do everything you want, anywhere you want. Limited free will. You can make some choices, but God is so amazing, so awesome, He uses that together for good. And He will not let you get beyond the bounds that He has set. He set the bounds of your habitation. Before you're born, God knows the day and moment of your death. He knows the circumstances. And you can't change what God has ordained in your life, but He allows you to make choices to follow Him. So when, when I think about God's predestination, I like to say God has, has given the exact mix of your DNA. Uh, I shared this in our, our truck program the other night with the, the middle school kids. Uh, Ancestry.com 
we did some DNA testing in there. Our daughter, oldest daughter, really was into it, and she wanted us to do it. I said, I'd be happy to. You pay for it, I'll do it. And so she did, and I did. And then we look at our kids, and they're all a different mix. And some of them, it doesn't, you know, you don't see how that DNA mix could be so different from their siblings' DNA mix, and then both of them come from Kathy and I. But that's what happened. God made you, you. Now, he didn't make you quite the same way he made Adam. He didn't gather some dust and breathe on it, and then Lance was there. Now, but, but he used the DNA of your mom and dad to make you exactly the way he wanted you. And, and so... We are predestined by what God has built into our lives. And then God worked in every moment of your life, every single moment of your life, God worked to bring you to a place of conviction where you would um, confess your sins to God and repent and be saved. And... God was orchestrating the circumstance to bring you there, and you were responding to what God was doing. In and of yourself, none of us would have been saved. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. If God weren't drawing us unto himself, we none of us would be saved. And God worked that out. Some of you got saved from a Sunday school message by a Sunday school teacher. Some of you got saved from an Awana lesson in in, uh, one of the kids' clubs, or uh, some of you got saved through a pastor's message at church or at camp, and some of you were uh, saved in response to reading the Bible and responding to the Holy Spirit working in your heart through God's Word. But He made it happen. He orchestrated the circumstances to bring you to that place where physically or spiritually you were on your knees before Him and you trusted Him. I got saved as a teenager. I vividly remember the night I got saved. I was at youth camp and I remember the preacher preaching and he had the weirdest invitation You know, usually at camp, they'd like beg you to come forward and make a decision. And he said, I'm really tired of kids at camp just making emotional decisions. So I'm going to tell you, you just sit there. We're not going to sing. We're not going to hum. Nobody's going to close their eyes. If you're going to make a decision for the Lord, you're going to have to walk past all your friends while they're looking at you. And you're going to have to come forward and make a decision for Christ. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, it's now or never. I don't know if that's true. That's what I felt. And I walked forward and I got saved. I had no idea that before Adam was formed, God had already planned to be working in my life to bring me to that place. I had no idea that for years God had been working in my heart. I just knew right then I needed to respond. And we are predestined. God's plan and his his plan is not just, hey, I want you to be in heaven. If he just wanted that, what could he do? Boop, 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 you're all in heaven, right? He could have done that. But his plan is for you to be conformed to the image of his son. So his plan is not just 
I want to see you trust Christ, but I want to see you grow and mature in Christ. I want others to be able to see what Christ is doing in you as you live out your faith in front of them. God is at work. How many of you have a friend or family member who is unsaved? It's really hard, isn't it? It hurts. But remember the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul of Tarsus? And the Lord said, it's hard for you to kick against that goad, that prick. It's hard for you to kick against that. Sometimes when they're the most rebellious, it's when the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction for their sin. And we don't like to be told we're sinners. And so they get more rebellious. And then God brings them into the family. Just keep praying. If they give you the opportunity, share God's truth. But always show His love. Secondly, we are called. We are called. He called you onto His team. He made you part of His group. He chose you to be on His team and in His family. I had two brothers who were very athletic when we were growing up, and they were always on the all-star team in basketball and football and baseball and wrestling. And uh, I mean, anytime the neighborhood kids got around to pick teams, whoever was the team captain, the first guy always, always picked my brother Jim. Jim was so athletic. He was the all-star uh, shortstop in, in baseball. He could hit, he could run, he could field anything. Any ball that came anywhere near him, he had it. And he could throw people out from all the way across the diamond. It was amazing. And the second choice was always my brother Gary. They wanted them on their team. That's how God feels about you. He wanted you on his team. Imagine if God were picking a team of people to serve him. And he'd say, yeah, I want Pat. I, I want Bill. I, I want Michaela. See, he called you. It isn't a generic, you know, hey, anybody want to be on my team? He calls us and brings us into his family. And he didn't just put you on his team. He, he also put you into his family. Those were my older brothers I was talking about. I have a younger brother, too, named Don, and Donnie's adopted. And Donnie is just as much my brother as my brother in heaven, Gary, who passed away, and my brother Jim, who's down in Tucson. Donnie is up in Indiana. He's just as much my brother. He's, he was made family. And when mom and dad set up a trust fund and, and planned to to have a little bit of inheritance to go to their kids. Not, they weren't wealthy, but they had funds and a little bit of inheritance that go to their kids. Um, they gave Donnie the exact amount as all the other kids. It wasn't like, oh, you're a birth kid, you get this much. Oh, you're an adopted kid, you get this much. It's all the same. And every believer is an adopted kid. Every believer was adopted into God's family. You were made a son of inheritance. And I don't want to offend the ladies, but in the culture in which the Bible is written, to be a son of inheritance was huge. And so you ladies, you have equal inheritance of the men. God planned that. 
And he made us his family. We're called to be on his team. We're called to be in his family forever. Not just for a while. Some of you have siblings or uh, family members that you haven't talked to in years. Some of you have kids that won't talk to you. But God made you part of his family forever. And God talks with you and listens to you every day when you call out to him. He will answer. He will speak. He will give you wisdom and show you great mighty things you don't know. So we are called. And that's pretty exciting. You know, I, I was never one of those kids like, well, I guess once I got to be a teenager, people were more quick to put me on their team. But when I was a little kid, I, I was slow and, and I couldn't see a fastball for anything. Slow pitch softball, I could connect a bat with a ball. The only time I ever hit a home run in Little League Baseball was a total accident. I'll tell you that story sometime, but not here. But my brothers did it all the time. God put you on his team, not because you were gifted, but because he is gifted and because he works in you and with you. Then he said, we are justified. Those he called, he justified. He has removed the curse of our sin nature. The word justified is a legal term. That's why I put it up here in a picture of the scales of justice and a judge's gavel. Uh, God has decreed you to be justified. So that even the condemnation of your sin has been removed. He has created the righteousness of Christ in you. So some kids have juvenile records and that normally a juvenile record gets expunged when you turned 18. That means the courts can't use it against you anymore. But guess what? If you went back in the historical records, that charge would still show up. It's still there. They didn't burn the old records. It's still there somewhere. But they can't hold it against you as an adult. And, and then not only that, but uh, when you have sinned, there's guilt. And, and it, as an adult, if you committed crimes as a juvenile, you're still aware of that. It's still inside you and it's still inside the court system. It's there, but they call it expunged. See, but God does something miraculous. He removes that sin forever. It's not just that he hides and pretends it wasn't there. He removes it. The justification that God provides actually removes your guilt and your condemnation. Now you are free in Christ. You don't have to live with the guilt of past sins. God has removed them. You don't have to live with the condemnation you were under. God has said, those who are in Christ, verse 1 of, of Romans chapter 8, they that are in Christ have no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's gone. It's removed. It can not only never be used again, God said he won't even remember it. God has removed it from the old files. It's gone. God himself removes all of your guilt. You are officially declared to be sin-free. 
when you trust Christ. Not only that, any time after you've trusted Christ, if you sin, you ask Him to forgive you. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So some of you hold this baggage of guilt and you like wear it around because you have failed. All right, let, let's just be honest. If I said, everybody in this room who's ever failed God, please stand up. Everybody would be standing up. And if you weren't standing up, it'd mean you were either asleep or lying. Because we have all failed God. But He doesn't hold us against it, it against us. When we confess it, He removes it. He makes us have to our legal account the righteousness of Christ. So there's no longer a, well, yeah, but, you know, he had a juvenile record. Well, yeah, but she did that thing. Or, yeah, but they, oh, man. No, that's gone. Now it's in Christ, the righteousness of Christ. Nothing that you have ever done can be used against you in the court of heaven. Nothing. Because when you confess it, God forgives. There are people who believe when they die, if they've been really good, they'll stand before the pearly gates and Peter will let them in if they've been good enough. I am really thankful I have the truth of God's Word that says that's bogus. Because you don't get into heaven because you're good. You get into heaven because God's good. Because God is gracious. Because God is forgiving. Because God will remember your sin no more. Awesomeness. And, and He does the justifying. Not you. He does. And does God ever do anything halfway? Never. In fact, it's described that when he saves, he saves to the uttermost. Every little speck of your DNA is saved when you trust Christ. To the uttermost in him. And then he says something that just seems a little weird at the end of verse 30. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. You know, we can get that predestined part. We understand that God was working in our life from before we were even born and bringing us to a place of salvation. And, and we understand, I mean, we don't understand all the ramifications of predestination. I, I think there are some people who think people don't have any choice. God just grabs them. And there are other people who think, no, we have the total choice. I think the truth is in between those two. God brings us to a place where then we respond to him. When the rich young ruler walked away, Jesus was sad, sorrowful. And I think if the man had made a right choice, he could have known the Lord and followed the Lord. But, but we get, we totally understand being called, right? We, we have a pretty good understanding of we are justified, but we are glorified? I started to make one of you come up here, stand here, and then I'd say, now, does that person look glorified? But I was afraid, you know, I might pick the wrong person. They'd be up here, yes, I do. Look at me. <laughs> Listen, we don't feel glorified, 
We don't look glorified. But what direction are we looking? We're looking this way. And when you look in that mirror, some of you might think you look pretty good. Most of us, we look in the mirror, we think it's passable. Right? We don't think glorified. But see, we're looking this way. God's looking this way. From where God is up in His heaven, we are glorified. Present tense. Mark your spot here in Romans and turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Please. We are glorified. We don't feel glorified yet. We don't see the reality of it yet, but God does. We are citizens of heaven with a reserved dwelling space for each of us. Now that's if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not asked Him to forgive your sins and save you, then you have a reserved spot, but it's in hell. And God wants you to be in heaven with Him. So look at Ephesians chapter 2, and, and we, the whole chapter fits into this, but we'll just look at a few verses, beginning at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God said, you're already there. In the eyes of God, it's a done deal. We don't have to worry if we're going to make it. My father-in-law was raised in a church environment where they taught you could lose your salvation. That staying saved was dependent on you. I believe the Bible teaches that God's the one who keeps us saved. And there's lots of scriptural argumentation kind of both ways. But I leave... I believe the preponderance of what the Bible teaches, as well as the heart of God Himself, that God is the one that keeps us saved. And so, in God's eyes, we're already there. God sees the end from the beginning, the Scripture says. So even though you're right here, God also sees you there because He sees the whole deal. And so you are glorified in Him. You already belong in heaven. Your entrance is pre-approved. How many of you got in the mail a pre-approved credit card? Yeah, everybody wants to loan you money just to help you. Yeah, they want to make interest off of you. That's why they want to do that. Uh, I think you should never use credit cards if you can't pay them off every month. Uh, it, that interest just compounds and it works against you. But, but we, we, that pre-approved, you're pre-approved. Kathy and I were in a car, car dealership once and we had a pre-approval from our credit union and, and we're haggling with the dealer over this. And the dealer said, Mr. Green, I don't understand. You are pre-approved to buy a car twice as much as this car. And I said, their willingness to loan it to me and my willingness to pay it to you are totally unrelated. Because however much I borrow, I have to pay back even more 
because the interest. But listen, in this case, pre-approval is awesome. You are pre-approved for heaven. You don't die and then stand before Peter at the pearly gate. And Peter says, well, let me see, Jeff. Uh, let's see. Whoa, mm, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you can come in. No. Absent of the body, present with the Lord, not with Peter at the gate. You're present with the Lord. You're already pre-approved for heaven. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you go there. Started to say, you go, girl, but, but I didn't say it. Sorry. <laughs> I said, I said you, you are in the family of the redeemed. Isn't that great? You're in the family of the redeemed. There's believers who met this morning in Africa and believers who met in Australia. And there's believers who haven't started church yet in Hawaii, and, and they'll be meeting later. And, and we're family, and we have never seen them. For some of them, we can't speak their language, but we have the same Savior. We are glorified. God's glory is already at work in our hearts and lives, and some glorious day we'll see Him face to face. When you see him face to face, it will be the completion of the great work he began down here. He will complete it to the end. He orchestrated the events in your life to bring you to repentance. He called you to salvation and into his family. He justified you completely and eternally. And he chooses to share his glory with you forever. Y'all might have some kind of response to that, you know? Yeah. Isn't it amazing what God has done? Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you will see us through to the end, that, that you will guide and guard and that, that you brought us into your family and and Lord, there may be one here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior. And I pray that they would not leave. They would stick around and they would ask for help and ask somebody to show them from the Word of God the truth that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And here's how they could follow you. Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. And I pray that we would continue to respond appropriately as we walk closer with you on our way to being with you. In Jesus' name, amen.